Welcome to the 13th episode of The GL Review. I'm Nathan Graber-Lipperman, creator and editor-in-chief of Unplugged. It's been a bit since I've released a GL Review. Been launching a bunch of different shows if you've been keeping up with Unplugged. We have the Unplugged NBA show hosted by Kareem Nurani, rotating group of panelists. Those have been really good as this young NBA season has unfolded. Go check those out. Um, Unplugged NFL NFL show and the Fantasy Geek podcast. Jack Lido's been working hard on both of those. The weekly Fantasy Geek podcast, I gotta say. Those guys, him and Andrew Fenichel, Sam Johnson, they've been researching their stuff, and it's a really, really fun listen. If you ever have any fantasy start and sit questions, definitely send them in. Um, it's It's been really fun seeing that grow and listening to it. But, yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. The GL Review is back with a conversation with Northwestern Men's Ultimate Coach and 2018 Great Lakes Coach of the Year, Kevin Ingvi, the legend himself. Uh, if you've been following Unplugged again, you might have seen I wrote an article about my opinions on the past, present, and future of the sport of Ultimate. It had been a long time coming. I, I had a lot of opinions ever since college nationals wrapped up. Um, you know, just being someone coming from a pickup Ultimate background and then going to the highest, play at the highest level of the sport. Super, super fun. And... Had had about half a year to think about it. Finally wrote an article. But I, I, I thought it was a good time to kind of delve into Ultimate a little deeper because Club Nationals, arguably the highest level of the sport, wrapped up about three weekends ago. Um, the fall season was really getting into the swing of things. Uh, the, the preseason, of course, before it all kicks up back again in February. Um, but yeah, I just asked Ingvi if he wanted to come on, share some of his thoughts on Ultimate. Dude's been around the sport for a while now, having coached and played at pretty much every level of the sport. And yeah, I thought it was a really fruitful conversation, both if you have experience in the Ultimate community beforehand or if you have none. Some really, really cool tidbits on whether what the future of Ultimate looks like, whether it could replace a sport like the NFL, how we see it changing at the youth level, what the gender equity movement means for the sport itself. Super, super fun time. Before we get into it, I just want to say, as always, uh, if you like what we're doing at Unplugged, we put a lot of time and effort into creating the highest quality content we can. We're, we're currently not turning a profit, but any help that you can support us with is really, really appreciated. Uh, there's a lot of little fees that go into this, as little as a $2.50 uh, ticket into Chicago on the L. Or even, you know, paying for SoundCloud for hosting our podcasts, uh, Adobe Creative Cloud. It, it really starts to add up. So if you like what we're doing and want to see more, uh, go check out our Patreon account at patreon.com slash unpluggedwithngl. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash u-n-p-l-u-g-g-d-w-i-t-h-n-g-l. Um, we, we're, we're working on what benefits different patrons will get, but... Lots of behind-the-scenes footage. I may or may not have started filming a documentary about the making of Unplugged. Go check it out. For as low as a dollar a month, you can become a patron of Unplugged. Uh, keep following the blog. Again, lots of NBA content, NFL content. I have a really, really cool feature article coming out later this week. Might have another Ultimate article coming your way, too. More focused on the Gen X movement. But for now, 
Here's Kevin Ingby. Kevin Ingvy, the 2018 Great Lakes Coach of the Year. Do you get that a lot? I do. Mostly from you. <laughs> Was that like, is that like an official title or is that just like an ulti world thing? Uh, it's an official title from, through USA Ultimate. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anybody really knows about it, but I will be putting it on my resume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're applying for jobs down the road. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you get like a t-shirt or anything? Nope, no t-shirt. Just uh, a name on a list. <laughs> well, it's, it's still something, but anyway, I, I asked Kevin to uh, come and record this podcast because I, ever since Nationals last year when Northwestern Men's Ultimate Team, uh, we made it for the first time ever, um, I thought there was a really interesting dynamic because my family, you know, they came out to see us at Nationals and for me it's like, oh my god, like this is the pinnacle of the sport, we're out here against like the best teams in the country and then I asked my dad like, yeah, so how do you like it? And he's like, Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, would you like maybe come to regionals next year? And he's like, make nationals again, and then we'll talk. So like, I just think that Ultimate's in a really interesting position where I personally think it's so incredibly fun to play as a sport. Like whether it really has a future as a spectator sport, um, that that's a little up for debate in my opinion. And but does it have to be? Does it have to have that future? So in any event, I thought Ingvi would have some interesting observations. Uh, my first question for you though. How did you discover Ultimate? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on your show. Oh, of course. Really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I want to shout out to Edward Spare because he's going to listen to this. Yeah. So <laughs> really excited to talk about this later, Ed. All right. So I started playing Ultimate with in sort of a pickup setting in Minneapolis-St. Paul. So there's a very developed youth scene in Minneapolis-St. Paul that my high school was not a part of, but a lot of my friends played. Uh, one of my best friends, his sister went to Pittsburgh, played for Danger. So he knew how to throw a forehand, <laughs> which was a rare skill back then. And then uh, another one of my friends went to Minneapolis South, which had a powerhouse program, or so we thought, for high school. So we would play 11-on-11 pickup. It would be really fun. We'd just go to a park. There were We didn't really know the rules. We didn't know what we were doing. We'd play from sort of end zone trees to end zone trees. But it was super fun. we played play once a week for all summer. And that's kind of how I got into it. When I came to Northwestern, uh, is really when I got exposed to it, like you, mm-hmm. you know, sort of meeting people who know how to play, being sort of sort of in a more formal team context, that kind of thing, and it sort of grew from there for me. So, I've came from a soccer background, so the sort of space concepts and cutting came naturally to me. So it was really an easy fit, and I liked kind of having ownership of it, like being able to play because I wanted to, not because somebody told me to so Mm. that was a huge part of it just kind of finding the sport myself and throwing a disc is a great thing to do it's just really fun um objectively yeah opinion yeah i would agree with that um but no and uh, you clearly like it i mean come in did you graduate six years ago uh 2012 so yep six yeah um and have you been coaching ever since i have graduated i was an assistant coach of the a team in 2013 13 mm-hmm. with Chuck Kindred and Kevin Bruns. Then I coached the B team for three years and now the A team for my third year. Mm-hmm. So, and you obviously put a ton of time into this uh, living nearby, uh, not only showing up to practice during the week, but also coming to lift with us. I mean, you're at a wedding at MLC and I'm sure you were following the Twitter and everything. 
uh, I did my best to, you know, stay focused on the happy couple. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, okay. yeah, it was hard to avoid. <laughs> but also even just, like, watching all our films, sending us all personalized gifts of what we can work on, what we can do better. So what is it about Nut that you would say keeps bringing you back, specifically? Uh, I think it's a really important idea to create an environment in a culture where players can grow into their own and can develop. I think sports itself is an awesome vehicle for just teaching teaching all these good habits that help people later in life. So mm-hmm. the way I think about it is um, I have this opportunity to kind of share that and create these great people and great leaders. So that's kind of the main goal. Um, I also have deep roots with Northwestern having gone here. So it's a treasure to give back to my team, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. So last year, I mentioned it in passing. Uh, I know we don't want to reflect on it too much this year because, look, it's another year. we got to make nationals again. It's a long road if that's our goal again. But it doesn't hurt too much to reflect a little bit. So just walk me through your thought process as we made nationals last year because I specifically remember being on the sideline at the Notre Dame championship game at regionals and the game to go. We're employing your 0-0 game-to-one mentality. I have no idea what the score is. And then you're usually, like, after we score or anything, you're usually, like, excited, but, you know, pretty chill. And I saw you just sprint on the field and, like, throw your clipboard in the air. I'm like, wait, did we just win? Like, <laughs> for all I knew, it was, like, 5-2, you know. But So just walk me through that thought process. Um, yeah, it was incredible. I So I know the score. It's my <laughs> job as a coach to know the score. So I've got a clipboard in front of me that has a score on it. Um, in honesty, though, without the clipboard, it's hard for me to remember the score, too. <laughs> so that clipboard is super helpful. But... Um, I knew the situation we were in, and uh, nice job not knowing the score. I really appreciate that. Thank you, yeah. Um, I think that when you're expecting the best of yourself and you want to perform like you're playing every point like it's universe point, um, then I think that not knowing the score is powerful, and I think that our mentality was very strong last year, and we got into some pressure moments definitely in that game against a very good Notre Dame team. Um, Mm -hmm. They came back all the way to 10-10, after we were up 9-5, um, they are playing super well. They've got some really incredible players on their team last year. So I think that I didn't think it was a sure thing at any point during that game or any point during the weekend. I just felt like I was in a kind of calm, relaxed state, believing in our team, trusting in our team, and then uh, we kind of, the, you know, enough coin flips went our way, and we did the hard work, and we got the win. So mm-hmm. um, it was really incredible. I felt like it was kind of a weight lifted. There's been a lot of expectation around going to nationals, whether it was deserved or not, um, over the past history of our club. And I think it was just like, it was just amazing to be able to do it, you know, with all these guys and have them have the chance to go. And then coaching at nationals was obviously incredible too. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one thing I want to add to kind of conclude that thought is that there was this perception in our team that we were entitled to going to nationals for many years earlier. And I think that's something that was kind of a mis a misunderstanding of what goes into being a good team. I think that we sort of felt like we deserved to go, but then we didn't acknowledge that the teams we were playing against were also hardworking, talented teams, and those teams are really good at ultimate. So mm-hmm. we would lose in you know the quarterfinals game to a great team, and then we would be like, well, why did we lose? as opposed to asking ourselves how we can be better and make ourselves a favorite in that game. So I think that's kind of the thought process I had going into the year, and being able to really execute that was awesome. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, graduating 13 seniors, wasn't that the number from 2017? Uh, I believe it was 13. Might have been 12 because we got Rosa back, but mm -hmm. I think it might have been 13. Going on that run, of course, what was it? Fourth at sectionals, first at... Uh, First at regionals and then ninth at nationals. So you did say <laughs> coaching coaching at nationals was tied for ninth. I tied for say. ninth, yes. Um, so just coaching at nationals, what was that like too? I mean, I'm sure you've been to college club nationals before, but what was it like just being on the field too? Uh, it just felt like a privilege, you know, just like a mm -hmm. joy to be there um, playing against these great teams that I've been reading about all year. So I watched a ton of film. <laughs> so I've watched all these games with all these teams playing. I knew all their stars, I knew all their players, I knew their coaches, tons of great coaches at Nationals. Um, it's always awesome to be able to coach against people like Tina Booth. Um, mm -hmm. um, there's tons of great coaches and great teams out there, so it was just a privilege. Um, I think it was very hot <laughs> that weekend. <laughs> it's yeah. a hot take. It was, that's <laughs> a hot take, yeah. The temperature was really high, we had some cramping issues, and if things had gone differently, we could have put our better foot forward, I think, in the in the bracket game we made it to but i'm not upset about how we did mm -hmm. i'm really proud to just to just be there and represent the great lakes honestly now, i just remember that the end of that brown game like obviously it stunk but it was just like that team just came together so much and it was just it was a beautiful thing beautiful it thing be it was a beautiful thing <laughs> it was funny at nationals though and i mean this just comes into the broader discussion of ultimate we can get to in a sec but um just like this one, it's like you're at, you know, your top 20 team in the country, or you're playing alongside the other 19 top teams in the country. But in the end, you're just like on a grass field, and no one's watching really. Yeah, and I sure. mean, yeah. we got a great turnout. Don't get me wrong, in terms of Northwestern fans. But like that was kind of refreshing. It's like you're just on another grassy field. It's like a year ago, I was playing on the soccer field adjacent to my high school, and now I'm at like nationals. But the only thing that's changed is like. I'm in Milwaukee versus West Hartford, Connecticut, you know? Yeah. Just another grassy field. I think that's part of the beauty of it in some ways, but um, as long as it's going to be a player's sport like that, I think that's just how it's going to be. But I think that's really awesome. Um, there were fans there, and I think the visibility on college nationals through mm -hmm. things like Alta World has been really awesome. Yeah. The ESPN the last couple of years, really great too. So. Uh, I don't feel like I have to be at some of these tournaments to get the experience that I want out of them, mm -hmm. um, which is really awesome. So I think that there's been huge strides made in terms of video coverage especially, which I have appreciated. Yeah, and uh, even like following club nationals, I feel like this year, the amount of streamed games on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, like I was just in the library watching, I want to say, it was the game after, I missed the machine game, but it was the game after that. Um, I've been like soccer. I don't know, but um, just like the fact that I could just be on a library computer and just watching Ultimate. I'm sure I got a lot of weird looks from the librarians, <laughs> but yeah. So we talked a little bit about like culture, and obviously, I I feel like for you that's like a very big thing with yeah. Nut specifically. Um, and we talked about how important it is, but I think it's really interesting because I won't name the club team, but I know a college where the the B team and A team like hate each other to the point where like people who could easily make the A team just don't play for the A team because like their friend group is still on the B team and they don't want to mix with each other and obviously for in my opinion for an ultimate uh, college team to succeed you need that developmental pool to keep working and then progress to the A team like in the long run that can be really dangerous so 
and I don't even think it was just this college. I've heard stories of other schools too, but I guess just like how important to you is building the culture of the the whole team, not just the A team, but also the B team as a program and even the greater Newthos community, both the men's and women's teams. I think it's the single most important thing <laughs> uh, that we could possibly do. I think given my background as a player, I played for the B team here at Northwestern for three years before being on the A team for two. I think that I witnessed firsthand what it's like to sort of be disrespected because of the name of the team you're on. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really backwards for that to be the case because, like you said, you know, those are the players who are going to be making plays in the A team later in their career. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's really important to be inclusive purely from a performance standpoint, but also because it's the right thing to do. Like, Ultimate is a sport for anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't, you don't have to be some superstar athlete to be good at ultimate you just have to want to play it and you have to be willing to try to be better at it so i really believe that i think that it makes us much stronger to have like a good b team culture and a good a team culture and have us coexist so that's why um i guess that's why we wear the same jerseys that's Mm -hmm. why we emphasize breaking down some of those clicks and we try to make sure that we have that dialogue and we understand and we teach that you know all the players on the A team, that they need to respect the players in the B team too, because, well, for us, half of our team is from the B team, so it's not yeah. that hard, but like, <laughs> we need to respect those players because they're the future of the program. Yeah. And even if they never play on the A team, they're huge parts of our program, so we mm-hmm. gotta respect that. And it's just cool even seeing from a community standpoint. Uh, yesterday, of course, Northwestern football punching their ticket to Indianapolis <laughs> with a uh, win over, who were they playing? This was Iowa. Um, nice come from behind win. First time ever winning the Big Ten West, yeah. Um, really bad Big Ten game, I'll be honest. Like, very <laughs> unenjoyable to watch. Um, but, yeah, and just looking at that, like, we, uh, someone immediately after the game ends posted in our group me, like, hey, I live right next to Lucas Oil in Indianapolis. Like, I'm going to talk to my parents, but a bunch of you guys can probably crash there at night. And it's just like, cool seeing that immediate community like that's the first place he went to to like offer his room yeah and that was also someone on the b team too yeah it's amazing um but yeah yeah just that slight digression how do you feel about northwestern football making the big 10 championship for the first time i feel great i know that our record isn't that good Mm -hmm. because of some non-conference wins you know or losses i would say oh and three non-conference three non-conference pretty brutal honestly but I think we have performed well against good teams, gotten some pretty close games. I know we were putting a little bit of fear in Notre Dame yeah. a little while ago, so I feel pretty good about it. You know, I don't think we're going to make any playoff or anything, but I don't really care about that. just want to show Michigan a good time. So, Did you ever see a season like the last several seasons when you were in school? Um, in terms of Northwestern football? Yeah. Um, we were okay. I think we were steadily growing. Um, I would say my favorite Northwestern sport after Ultimate is basketball, so mm-hmm. would like to see us go back to the tournament. That would yeah. be really nice. Have you been in New Welsh Ryan yet? I haven't. I haven't either, but I'm excited to go. Me too. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, Northwestern football, nut, I've been following a similar trajectory, right? Just like keep going <laughs> up. And it's, yeah, I mean, how do, you, how do you feel about Northwestern shelling out $270 million for the Ultimate team to practice in? Yeah, I think it's a worthy investment, you know? <laughs> I really feel like 
the the winter having to go you know a couple blocks to a turf field further away really you know was an issue for us so now that it's closer it's really going to help our attention and our recruiting you know yeah. it's a big game changer for us yeah no absolutely I really appreciate that i mean now when we're like <laughs> we're recruiting the top talent from like seattle and north carolina we can just show them the walter athletic center and like yeah. bam they're they probably like thought northwestern was a you know a safety school before but then like they see that and it's like oh top of their list yeah they see the beach you know they see the weight rooms <laughs> it's a dead you know dead cell have you been what's what's your opinion on practicing indoors Do you uh it's very bad for throwing mm -hmm. it's very good for not having our field space taken due to weather cancellations um in general i would vastly prefer to be outside but mm -hmm. given how we have this beautiful facility and how it's going to start snowing i really appreciate it yeah yeah no absolutely um it's kind of like tennis i always found with tennis um like you could there's kids who would practice all winter just indoors and their serves would be great and the ground strokes would be great and you get outside and the first time someone hits a lob and they like go back to you know spike it then they just completely miss it because the wind just blows it away <laughs> like it, it's it's kind of similar though i will say i remember one day last year as a freshman um i'm coming out to like a thursday practice where there's like 20 people there and it's like negative degree wind chill next to the lake and i'm like I'm a <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's helped our attention that you can come like it's 65 degrees and it's a beautiful facility. Mm -hmm. Like you can walk there from your dorm in you know five minutes. So, uh, so I will say that being outside in those conditions probably toughened you up later. Oh, of course, so that's a great thing. Builds so much character. It builds character. Yeah. yeah, you get the right winter clothing for that. You <laughs> got to figure out what to wear. It's very important. You win yeah. some, you lose some. I mean, playing ultimate in the Midwest, you kind of have to. Uh, <laughs> I mean, regionals was like 38 degrees, I feel like. Region, that was one of the nicest regionals I've ever really? Yeah, yeah. It was sunny and uh, not, it was too, sunny. not too windy. It wasn't too windy. Um, sectionals was maybe more what, like what you would expect. Like yeah. tons of rain, tons of wind, pretty chilly. So got to yeah. be used to that. I just like, now when I go to like in the fall and spring, when I go to tournaments that we go to in the Midwest, it's like, Every time I'm like, oh, I don't have to bring gloves. Like, I don't have to bring my raincoat. I'm like, what, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I just <laughs> bring that stuff because you are going to need it. It just, the weather just changes in a second. You, you got to be prepared. But yeah. Um, next question I have for you, because I've thought about this a lot. So I think the, you've coached at the college level and the YCC level from my yep. understanding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you ever coached that club? Uh, I've captained club teams, but yeah. I've not coached club. So you've played at uh, both college and club, but um, and coached like a combination of both. But um, I think the argument for like the youth scene in high school would be difficult given the sport's still growing at that level. If you feel differently, feel free to say so. But like when you're looking at club versus college ultimate, what do you think is like the pinnacle of the sport? Because like personally, I just think ultimate's like a sport built for college. And just between like, you know, you're living with people, you're traveling together, you don't have jobs. So it's like, I mean, some people have jobs, but I, I just found it interesting, like practicing with a club team over the summer. And it was like, they met once a month and had practice on Saturday and Sunday for four hours each day. And like someone would drive two and a half hours from New York city just to go to club practice for that weekend. And then they wouldn't see each other until like the next tournament. So I, it's like interesting. I've never really played at the club level. And I understand it's like once you're out of college, it's like, look, you still want to keep playing ultimate. But like, what do you think about just all that? I think it depends what you mean by pinnacle. Mm -hmm. So the best ultimate being played 
is club ultimate yeah um because you have the superstars from college all on mm-hmm. teams together and i would say the teams that are going to club nationals those teams are practicing and hanging out almost as much as college teams mm-hmm. do if not more they're working out tons you know it's basically like a part-time job for those guys mm-hmm. maybe you're looking at 25 30 hours a week um i should say uh for men and women because obviously both of those mm-hmm. um all those teams put in that much work i think that the that's the best ultimate that you're going to see but i think in terms of storylines mm-hmm. <laughs> and in terms of um kind of in terms of difficulty of winning a title i think college is more of a, a pinnacle because you only have four years sometimes in some cases five years to make your impact on a college team um you have tons of really competitive teams the um the competitive teams rotate i mean there's some consistency based on youth coming in and there's a lot of con- consistency based on coaching like the same programs are going to be there but i do think there's a little bit more a little bit more of an even playing field at least in mm-hmm. that sense and I prefer college, but I I think there's tons of things to appreciate about club as well. Yeah, of course. Um when you're looking at second and third tier club, I think people play ultimate for a lot of different reasons mm-hmm. and you know, you can have people who are, you know, playing very infrequently sort of summer league esque and then you can mm-hmm. have teams that are arranging all the way up to those nationals teams. So, yeah. it's I think you can get a lot of different things out of it. Um but I do think I appreciate college more for the narratives and for the sort of um the nature of it being short. Yeah. Well just going off of that. I mean like in terms of knowing college ultimate before going to high college. So like again, I think I first watched I first watched the 2014 championship between like Mickle and Nethercut. Like Great game. Great game. it was just like the way they said those names. I wrote about it in my article for the website, but the way that like Evan Leppler talked about those guys who was like, "Oh man, they're just absolute studs." So it's funny that they like two of the best players in the world now cuz it's like I just remember those guys since way back when. But I mean you can like watch the ESPN broadcast don't know what the hell's going on. And it's like once I got to college and understood how like regionals works and like that that regionals weekend or month kind of where you're like following oh the so and so one southwest so and so one here and here like that was awesome. And that was crazy and I I feel like some people even follow that more than they do nationals in a sense. I I I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it was just cool to see like everyone come together over like who's going to get the bids, like the excitement with that. It, it it felt like the week before the NCAA tournament in a sense. Obviously to a smaller degree, but <laughs> that's a great comparison. Huge fan of the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Uh, I think it's yeah, the best thing in basketball and the NBA is very good. WNBA also very good, but March Madness can't replace it. Yeah. Um I think that people watch nationals more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to respectfully disagree. But I do think That's that <laughs> the intrigue around regionals is the most one of the most exciting things for sure for college. Um cuz like once you get to nationals the it's like more clear who's going to compete be the top 8 teams because there's, you know, a big difference in terms mm-hmm. of who's who's on top and who's uh the lower seeds. But I think when and it's anybody's game at regionals, yeah. that's when the you know the Giants can fall. So that's awesome. I mean, just looking at the Atlantic Coast last year, where oh, three amazing. of the teams, yeah. I mean UNC was pretty chalk, but then three <laughs> of the teams were like throughout the season were probably three of the best teams in the country. Um, maybe not best, but you know like top fifteen ask teams, and then they couldn't win in their games to go. And I mean, what was the other ones too? Was it the I know the one that Texas won. That's uh, 
South, South Central, Central yeah. South Central, and then Florida won three games to go in a row, right? Or lost three in a row. Yeah, I said one. Yeah, lost three in a row <laughs> in the Southeast. So, no, it was just fun to follow all that for the first time. Um, I, I feel like there's kind of that dynamic, too, of, like, I mean, a lot of these schools have such big alumni bases, and so it's like, while I agree that, yes, everyone's probably watching more at Nationals and following more at Nationals, it's like the fact that it's like, oh, we're still in it. Then it's just like following it all up until regionals. And it's like, if you don't have a team at nationals, it might be like hard to follow in a sense. But no, I, I do agree that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just looking at r slash ultimate, there's like pick em brackets for nationals, which is hilarious to me in a great way, you know. <laughs> but I wonder if anyone was picking us, you know. Yeah, I hope so. yeah. yeah. But um, no, so I, I kind of opened the top of the hour, top of the show, rather. Um, talking about what my dad said at nationals where it's like you know my, my whole family was there watching they're coming to support me but if i wasn't there i don't know if they'd ever find their way to an ultimate tournament you know and it, i personally think I, I realized this after talking to them so i stayed to watch the oregon uh, both the semifinal games um i think i watched one of the women's games too so both the men's semifinal games uh oregon and unc had that crazy comeback by unc to win and then Carlton and Pitt, Pitt upsetting the number one seed. And I realized just like being in person, like I think it's fun to watch and it's like, I know what's going on, but like, I think if you didn't know what was going on and you were at a game, I just like, don't know if ultimate's ever going to get to that point where it can be a true spectator sport. That being said, I think watching it, the ESPN broadcast, I think they do a pretty solid job. The Ulti world and USA ultimate broadcasts are pretty solid too. And I am saying all this, and I've been to two NFL games, and I think the NFL is terrible to watch in person, too. <laughs> I think the NFL is a sport made for TV. But in essence, like, I'm just wondering what your take is. Like, I personally see Ultimate going forward as like the best, mo- one of the most fun games to play and be a player on the field, but I just don't know if it will ever get that real watchability status outside of like those really core group of fans. I think that's an interesting point. I think that it, Ultimate is very watchable, so I'll respectfully disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Ultimate is really watchable because of how dynamic and athletic it is mm-hmm. in the sense that it requires coordination. The points aren't that long. Like Usually they're 60 to 90 seconds. It's relatively quick. Um, the game only takes 90 minutes. So I feel like if you went to a soccer game and you didn't know what was going on, you'd think it's really boring. So I think that's just true for any sport. I think the ultimate is exciting because of just the pace of play and how the disc is make like makes the game a certain way. So in terms of a spectator sport, I think it's possible that ultimate could be a great spectator sport. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason it isn't today, well, there's a lot of reasons. <laughs> the main reason is money. Yeah. The after that, I think the second reason is that it's not really intended to be, you know, it's, um, as you know, the Ultimate Players Organization or Association, the UPA, was, or it kind of still is the governing body of Ultimate. It's called USA Ultimate now, but honestly, Ultimate is governed by this group that makes it for the players. It's like mm-hmm. a players organization. Um, there's no money in the sport. Like, there's no scholarships there's no professional there's a professional league but there's no money in that either so Mm -hmm. um by and large ultimate currently exists for the players it's not not really about the fans Mm -hmm. 
Um, that said, I do think it's really fun to watch. I actually prefer watching Ultimate to watching other sports, but I think if I had to rank the sports that I like watching, I would have Ultimate on top, um, then I would have basketball, NBA, WNBA, hockey, then mm-hmm. it would be soccer, and then somewhere down below would be uh, <laughs> just, football. Just put football all the way down. <laughs> watching live, uh, there's just not that much going on. You know, lots of stoppages. Oh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. As someone who, like has been covering the Chargers in some respect for SB Nation for two years or so. Like, I, 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 but now that I've gone to two games, I think the spell kind of broke for me, honestly. <laughs> I just think, I don't know, watching NFL on TV can be great, in my opinion. But yeah, Absolutely. Um, I, I guess in, in that whole discussion, I, I do think, I, I do think, yeah, like from an athleticism standpoint, shorter games, it's free-flowing. But again, it is for the players. And then you bring in the conversation about the spirit of the game. Now, I think as a player, it's great, like, self-officiating. And in theory, you know, everyone's very respectful. And it's like the correct decision gets made. But if you're on the sidelines and you don't know what a pick is or you don't know what a stall is, does that... And you get, like, this two-minute-long conversation between two people. Is that, like, hinder the, the future of the sport, in your opinion? Um, I think it does, but I also think, like in football, you have flags thrown. Mm-hmm. If you don't know the rules of football, there's, you're just going to be confused by what that means. Also, you have people like running on and off the field in football all the time. Yeah. So if you don't know what's going on, you got lots of stoppages for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's more parallels in other sports to stoppage-based things than people think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's. So this is kind of getting into the territory of self-officiation generally yeah. versus refereeing. I think it's really powerful for ultimate to be, you know, observed and not officiated. I think that the, the words you use to describe how it's officiated matter. And if you, I think if you go to referees, you take the responsibility away from the players. Um, so I guess I would say, I think a championship level play, you really want to have a third party like an observer. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to keep the responsibility with the players as much as possible. Um, as you go down the levels, I think self-officiation is an excellent tool for teaching responsibility mm-hmm. and for having ultimate be for the players. Like you're not going to have fans at your summer league game, so yeah. just keep the <laughs> self-officiation. Mm-hmm. So then what's your, what's your quick bit, quick take on the UDL? Just the concept of it behind it. You know, trying to make a professional league that's all about visibility, not so much about the players necessarily. You know, they travel really far for one game, get paid like $25 a game or whatever. Referees instead of self-officiating. I think the AUDL should be mixed. Um, Mm -hmm. I think going, if the AUDL wanted to, they could have a mixed league tomorrow. Um, I think they made some decisions on the rules that don't make sense, like... Why is the field wider? They wanted it to fit on a football field. Mm-hmm. That's like an arbitrary reason to me. I don't think that makes sense. Um, I would narrow the field, shorten it, make it the same as a USA Ultimate field. Um, I think the field size for Ultimate is really important to the quality of play. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that there's a lot of people who are very passionate, who own teams in the AUDL mm-hmm. and are working hard to make it successful. And there's a lot of very passionate players um, but I think the AUDL doesn't um, doesn't exist if players aren't volunteering their time to play. Absolutely. Right? And it's basically volunteering because $25 a game, you're putting in tons of time. Yeah. Um, so the players have a lot of power there. 
and I think that the people in charge need to maybe do a little better job of recognizing that and I think putting women in positions of visibility is one way they could recognize it. So it's interesting getting into the whole conversation about gender equality. Obviously a big deal in the ultimate It's community. actually equity. I say equality, yeah. I have it written down right here too. <laughs> um, but it's it's gotten a decent amount of coverage outside of the, you know, the ulti worlds, the real ultimate community, but I read an article from The Guardian that wrote about it, um, about the DC breeze. But um, you know, like Ultimate's obviously still very young. Looking at the AUDL specifically, it started in 2011. And I mean, we, we've seen mixed work on a big stage. As you said, you're a big proponent of it. Do you think that's important to kind of like keep this Gen X like at the forefront of the sport going forward? Like, is, is there potential for, you know, people to, fo- I don't know how I'm going about this, but just like people to follow the, the mixed culture? That was a really yeah. bad question. I, <laughs> I think I see what you're getting at. So if you watch the World Games team, that's a mixed team. Mm-hmm. It's the pinnacle of ultimate. Um, it's the dip- most difficult roster to make. You have the best players on the planet playing on that team. Um, if you go back and watch them play the USA versus Columbia game, is one of the best games I've ever watched, and it's uh, a mixed game. So mm-hmm. I think there is a lot of potential to the mixed game and mixed kind of gets a bad rap for no reason um i think that a mixed professional league really offers something unique marketing wise so that's just my opinion yeah like men and wheeled men and women on the field at the same time is a rare thing in any sport like you have done tennis i guess um but not even i mean that'd be like celebrity games kind right. of <laughs> not not like i mean mainstream wise yeah there's there's nothing or does not much at least i think it would be really powerful and i also think that's my main problem with the AUDL today is that they don't they're very visibility oriented but the what's being shown is only men so mm-hmm. um there's no real reason for that besides that's just the way that the ownership groups decided they would do it like mm-hmm. they could decide tomorrow to change it and it could be different it's interesting just thinking about it because i mean we've seen that not only just like look at movies and popular culture right now not only is uh you know p- uh, making a big budget movie with a woman lead like gal gadot as wonder woman or as an african-american uh, mostly led movie in black panther not only is it bankable in 2018 Wonder Woman came out in 2017, but not only is it bankable, it's arguably, you can make more money, you you will make more money off a movie with diversity than you will with a movie with stale old white men. And (laughs) it's just interesting to see as like a popular culture moving forward, and I wonder if we will see that trend in sports ever too. Like, who's to say that mixed won't get that can't get that woman's and men's fan base and even looking at like the WNBA recently I mean WNBA has had its fair share of struggles over the years I mean getting fans uh there's a team in Connecticut the Connecticut Sun that uh I've seen some of their games and they draw small crowds and it's tough because these women are some of the most talented athletes in the world um but even just this past championship you might have seen the Seattle Storm obviously a great fan base in Seattle and they just really came together against that around that team and those games were sold out and they looked like a ton of fun so 
don't know. I think it'll be really, really interesting to watch in the future. And would you say if the AUDL made, like tomorrow, if the AUDL made their leagues mixed, would that instantly just generate a ton of more mainstream interest in the sport? <laughs> That's a great question. And uh, I think the answer to that is no. Mm-hmm. But I do think it would position them much better in what's already a super crowded sports market of course. to be unique. Mm-hmm. Um, I And I think I would support it more than I do today. Because I think when you are in that position of visibility, you just have a responsibility to be accountable for what you're showing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we talk all the time, I mean, even in this conversation about, you know, football i i feel like just you know it's football season right now it's like still the biggest money maker in the sporting world um but there's obviously a lot of conversations in recent years around concussions football disappearing uh really low levels of parents letting their kids play football at, at the youth level um do you think ultimate could replace or take a chunk of that kind of you know footballing public and like, it should Ultimate be more investing in the youth game, you think? Um, I, I feel like it is really starting to grow. Um, but it's still, like, a weird thing for a high school to have an Ultimate team, I think. I think increasingly it's less weird. <laughs> I do fair. think that, yeah, the youth investment is the way to go. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why it's a good thing to do is because the sport is great for youth. Like, I'm teaching responsibility to your players through ultimate yeah. is really powerful. Um, I f- think that replacing football, uh, it's impossible to replace football culturally, mm-hmm. you know, instantly. It's just so ingrained, but I think at the youth level has a replacement for football. It's got a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. That's going to be a gradual process, no matter how you slice it. Of course. Though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, people have been talking about the MLS as replacing football for, like, 20 years now. and Youth soccer in the U.S. has been massive for a really long time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, I mean, the MLS is, uh, the MLS is growing. There's, there's a lot of intrigue around there. We've, we've covered it a little bit on Unplugged. But, um, yeah, no, I, I just, it's like with the, the instances of head trauma and just, like, I don't know, if, if, when, if you ever have kids, like, if in the future, if I ever ki- have kids, it's like, I would never let my kid play football. And I know this isn't a very hot take, but <laughs> spouted quite a lot. But no, I, I don't know. I, I think ultimate at the youth level is really intriguing going forward because I've, I've coached as a sports coach for different sports. And um, one time I was coaching a camp two summers ago that was a uh, capture the flag, kickball, and ultimate frisbee camp is how it's described. So pretty much the best thing as a little kid you could ever imagine. Sounds great. And uh, just the fact that I knew how to play ultimate was like really, and I was just like teaching the kids how to throw like a flick and everything. And like the first two days we played all three sports, but then by the third day, like all they wanted to play was ultimate. <laughs> like that's all they wanted to do. I set up like a disc golf thing on this big uh, field where it was like different sets of cones you could like aim and throw the discs in and they just absolutely loved it. So I think any myth about like kids not liking ultimate or it being confusing is just totally false because so many people have played pickup or played in gym class and i've never met someone who just like objectively doesn't like ultimate uh, i think they're out there but <laughs> far between yeah it's a great sport i think it's inexpensive low barrier to entry mm-hmm. and uh, i think there's just a lot of great things about it 
Well, in terms of even, like, an expensive barrier to entry, like, that's more from a... Like, because you have to travel to find other teams, right? right? The equipment that you need is relatively little. Yep. So, like, if, if high schools start playing and we have, like, local games, you know, I mean, that's not bad. I think you're seeing that more and more. Um, I think that USAU has done a pretty good job investing in that and is doing increasingly more things for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a good path to go, keep growing that, trying to build that base. And I think when you... I guess there's going to be a bunch of benefits to that. More people playing Ultimate just means more people being exposed to it and learning great things from it. It also means that your college level quality is going to get better, your club level quality is going to get better, Mm -hmm. um, and it's just you're going to have, you know, more interesting games. Yeah. I also, I just thinking about it, like I bring up visibility a lot, and it's not so much from a like, well, I'm playing College Ultimate and I want like everyone to see me playing on TV. Yeah, it's like not that. It's like, Look, if you're a little kid and you've never heard of Ultimate, like, how are you going to hear about it? Is it not going to be until college, or is it going to be because you wander upon a game on ESPN or Stadium, and it's like you get exposed to this great game? So, I mean, as we've said, USAU doesn't have a ton of money, and they might be investing in the youth culture, but I still think visibility is just, like, somewhat important going forward. I agree that visibility is important, um, I don't. I don't agree that it's the most important no, absolutely. thing. absolutely. Um, I also think it's important to be cognizant of how the visibility is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to mention one thing that you talked about. Uh, we talked about it before this. Um, so you were talking about how one of our old captains, Matt Niemer, was saying that as the sport grows, people like you and me can't play. Mm-hmm. I think that's not true. <laughs> I think you're not going to see like a D1 level over takeover of ultimate ever mm-hmm. unless there's just a ton of money put into the Darn sport into right because without that scholarship opportunity without that you know sort of olympic aspiration type thing you're never going to have the resources to have players be training at that level mm-hmm. so you're not going to draw those athletes and there's no i mean there's always going to be room for ultimate for anybody i also want to say that in other sports you can play other sports in beer leagues and summer leagues you don't mm. like you're not not allowed to play sports it's yeah of course <laughs> uh that's true for all sports so um i think that's just totally off base people who say that are pretty incorrect i do think it's true that you probably won't be able to compete at the very highest, the highest level, level yeah but you know elder sports have amateur and pro divisions for a reason so i think that's somewhere we could go if that happens uh without any real issues mm-hmm. so are you thinking like down the road when you're when you're 60 or so and still coaching Ultimate, and it's like, <laughs> Kevin Ingvi just re-upped for a $15 million contract plus incentives from Northwestern University. Yeah, as much that's, as much as I would love that to be the case. That's in the foreseeable no, future. No right? way that's ever happening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, just like imagine an Ultimate coach and like the, I mean, we don't want Ultimate coaches doing what's Urban Meyer and has happened to Ohio State, but like those kind of level controversies of hence like frisbee coach so and so. You know. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. um, I will say though, I've been look. I looked at uh, you know, some of the staff that Pat Fitzgerald has to work with, and you know, having twenty five coaches to work <laughs> with is just seems like a real, a real way to advance the sport. So, <laughs> if we ever could get a staff that's that invested and that involved, I think we'd really be talking about a different degree of ultimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I I guess just kind of like wrapping up this whole conversation, kind of, uh, not to repeat, but I I think like there's 
lot of elements to be drawn here. Um, like you personally, do you wish Ultimate was bigger? And do you want to see it continue on that trajectory? Or do you think the current state where it's at, like this kind of counterculture vibe, you really can have this community of people competing at a high level, maybe not a D1-esque level, but still a very high level of athleticism, lifting, having that regimen, having practice time. But the trade-off with that being, you know, traveling and someone saying, what the hell's Frisbee? Or, um, like, I, I always come back to this because it's, it's always funny to me, like, when there's that greatest over the summer for Kyle Hankey that was, like, went all over SportsCenter and everything. Um, as he, he was playing for the Austin Soul in the AUDL. Great play. And great, awesome play. And, like, just a great example of how cool Ultimate can be. And then you go on Twitter and you see the comments and, like, fake sport. Like, this isn't a sport. It's like, why isn't this uh, playing on ESPN 8, the Ocho, you know? <laughs> I think ES Ultimate did itself a disservice by letting it be shown on ESPN 8, the Ocho, too, as ESPN's done that the last two years. Well, all, all four sports are fake, so... Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> but, n no, just, like, um, like... Do you, do you like the spot that Ultimate's in currently? Like, is that... Do you, or do you wish it was bigger down the road? I think it's better for it to grow, but I think it has to grow in an intentional way. Organically. Uh, I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I'd use the word organically. I think it's good to be visible, and it's good to grow understanding. Um, but like I said with the, the AUDL thing, I think if you're only seeing male role models, you know, mm -hmm. we're limiting the growth of the sport in a certain way for no reason. I think that I think it's powerful to maintain the gender equity piece of it and I think it's really powerful to also maintain the responsibility and spirit of the game aspect of it. So I think I wouldn't grow at the sacrifice of those things. I would mm -hmm. just grow with those things because those are some of the things that make the sport important and useful. So um, I would really emphasize on the youth. I think that's what I would stick with and I think that as a sport, the purpose of sport is to teach people, you know, teach people life skills and be healthy individuals, you know, in terms of activity, but also in terms of mental health, how to work in a team, how to be gritty, face adversity. And I think Ultimate's a great vehicle for that, regardless of, you know, how high a level uh, you're competing at. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I always think it's funny, too, with like when the AODL posts on Instagram and some of my friends from high school. I can see like they like this video and whatever and it's like I wonder how I, I remember talking after you know being exposed to a year of college ultimate and going home and then I told my friends like oh yeah like a lot of people don't really like the AUDL and they're like what like <laughs> but this is the professional league like they had no idea what club was right and it's funny I wonder how they view it because the way the AUDL markets itself on social media and everything and it's like, oh yeah, we played against Kyle Hankey at Centex, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I was across from that guy, that's pretty cool, but it is always funny thinking about that whole dynamic. Um, I think that's really important, though, because your friends are only being exposed to the AUDL through that visibility lens, right, so mm -hmm. that's all they're getting, so we want to be, be able to have a little bit of understanding how that's um, being delivered. I had another point about that that I just forgot, so carry on. <laughs> I was just thinking too, I mean, I, I don't think it can be understated with the fact that like the UDL has 78.5 thousand followers on Instagram. Yeah, it's a lot. A lot on Twitter, I don't have the number in front of me, but like, it, it's, it, it's, and you know, they like release their MVP highlight videos and like this and that, and just 
when you compare it to USA Ultimate, even as like someone within the sport, like I log on to that website and I just get overwhelmed. <laughs> Sometimes I just X out. Like I think my my dad was asking me like, oh, where, where, when are you going to this tournament and who are you playing and what are you guys like ranked? I'm like, I can't figure it out. And then like he figured it out before me. <laughs> but I, I don't know. It's just like funny going forward. Yeah, I think the ADL has done a great job marketing itself. I think they are doing the right thing in terms of making a modern sport that kind of disrupts um, the big four in the sense that they have these great highlight videos, they have mm -hmm. all this um, this active Twitter presence. I also think that Altworld has done a phenomenal job publicizing Ultimate uh, that's not professional Ultimate. Like without, it's hard, it might be hard for you to imagine, but back in the days before Altworld, <laughs> it was so much worse than it is now. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> so, um, just that Altworld even exists um, has been really amazing for just visibility of the sport in general and like creating narratives. You got these all these writers who are talking about the college national mm -hmm. teams and all that stuff. I think that's really awesome. One thing I come back to with Ulti World, and I wanted to mention this in my article, but I didn't want to, you know, like come out full. I didn't want it to come off as like full out blasting, you know, because like sometimes <laughs> when you write something, it's hard to appreciate as opposed to like talking, but. Um, I absolutely appreciate everything they're doing. It's really cool. It's also clear that they definitely don't have the funds to cover, like, let's say the college game at, like, a true national level. Because let's be real, there's tournaments happening at every pocket of the country, like, on any given weekend. Um, I find it funny how a lot of times in their podcasts and their articles, like, they always talk about Carlton. They always talk about UNC, you know, because it's like, if they're going to the high-level tournaments, those are the teams they're consistently watching, and they know the coaches and the players. But I find it funny that they, like, build up this Carlton team all of last year. So, so good, so, so good, this and that. And, like, oh, man, they dominated these teams this weekend. And these are a bunch of kids not on scholarship. They did probably go to Carlton for ultimate, but, you know, they're not D1 athletes, even if they're at the top of Frisbee. So they're building up this team. And then Carlton loses in that semifinal. And then Ulti World publishes this article of, like, Carlton Ultimate, like, not mentally strong enough to win the game or whatever. And I just thought it's, like, kind of a microcosm of how difficult it is to cover the the sport as currently is. And I think Ulti World will work on that moving forward, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I think Ulti World gets it right more than they get it wrong in terms of coverage. There's way too much to cover, mm -hmm. honestly, and they don't have the resources. Like, there's no way they can cover all of it. I think that stuff like that, I guess that kind of gets into territory about, you know, do these amateur athletes, should they be judged for their yeah. performance, right? And how should they be viewed? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that can get into some territory that's maybe hasn't really been addressed in Ultimate yet. <laughs> like, how do you, these amateur athletes, do they deserve to be? I mean, I'm approaching this from, you know, like a media critic, journalism <laughs> student, like, kind of aspect. So. Um, I think it does build a narrative, and it's exciting. I would say that if I was coaching Carlton or one of those other teams, or I guess um, I would just try to have them not read it or ignore mm -hmm. it because it's just distracting. Um, do you uh, think they do, though? I think some of them probably do, and if you're not ready for that kind of thing, it could probably be distracting. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I love, like, I'm, I don't know how our team generally feels about it, but I love the fact that they never mention us or they never know what's going on, because it's like, yeah, it's it's great for, like, an underdog mentality. It's like, you know. Um, 
I would prefer that we not read what other people think about us because I don't think it matters. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure there's, like, NBA players who are reading their Twitter feeds and stuff. Oh, absolutely. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kevin Durant. <laughs> you can He's been in the news enough. <laughs> you can't control that so much. But that's that would be my preference from a coaching standpoint because, you know, people don't actually know what's going on in the clubhouse. They're just absolutely. trying to build a narrative, mm-hmm. um, which makes it compelling as a follower. But for the athlete, it can be, you know, a tough time. Yeah. Man. So... You looked like you had to say something. I, don't I, was, know. I was trying to think of the thing I forgot of. Forgot. <laughs> uh, do you have any? Well, I do have some non frisbee talk just to wrap up. Sure. Um, I know you're a big movie guy. Huge movie guy. Two questions. You can feel free to answer either one. What movies are you most excited for or have seen this Oscar season, or just what movies have you enjoyed the most in 2018? I'm not prepared for this question. <laughs> I would say that in terms of my movie fanship, I don't... I'm not as big of a fan as, like, the current movie cycle as I am of, hit like, hit historical movies. Kind of like a rewatchable yeah, yeah. standpoint. I really like movies because... I guess I really like movies that are older. Mm-hmm. I'm not really a huge fan of the stuff that's coming out now. Um... I will say I'm always a Star Wars fan. That's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, a little bit of blasphemy. Because How do you feel about The Last Jedi? <laughs> so I think that... Okay, well... <laughs> it's like one year later. <laughs> it's not like an hour-long conversation about <sighs> whether The Last Jedi should have been made. <laughs> I really respect what's being done with the Star Wars franchise, and I know some people don't. I think that wiping the slate clean, creating new movies, is really powerful. I was some a guy who, you know, read the Star Wars books big fan of the original series is of course and I think that they are compelling and interesting even if they're a little boilerplate I'm going to be honest they're a little bit formulaic and they don't try to do anything too far outside the box especially Force Awakens Force Awakens yep <laughs> I think that I Solo maybe gets a little bit of a bad rap but I'm cautiously optimistic for the remainder of you know whatever they're going to do and i assume they're going to keep making movies forever because it's a cash cow for them oh absolutely yeah also i mean like disney i I still we talk about this on our podcast all the time the the joke with my brother is that we're paid off by disney to hate on dc um (laughs) but i mean good having star wars in disney's hands and especially out of um george lucas's hands (laughs) I, i don't know going forward i have the utmost confidence in them so he, here you go here's an updated question then sure because you said you're not as into up and coming new movies can you rattle off your top five movies of all time or is oh, that too difficult on uh, the spot I will try so I'm a huge fan of con man movies so my mm-hmm. favorite movie that I usually give is The Sting mm-hmm. which is a fantastic movie and if you haven't seen it highly recommend you go watch it um I think my second favorite movie um I'm kind of going to come out of left field for this one is I think that it is oh man this is so hard I have like a list (laughs) stored in my phone of like my top 10 and I always like if someone asks me on the spot I have to pull up the list or else I can't get it wrong you know (laughs) I think I think that Snatch is a really good movie um I kind of like movies like that Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels is a good movie 
I think that have you seen the day after tomorrow? Yeah. Tom Cruise. Wait. Day after tomorrow isn't that the one with Jake Gyllenhaal? I'm thinking of a different one then. Yeah, the day after tomorrow is really bad. <laughs> I'm thinking about <laughs> yeah, that's what, one from like '04. The Edge of Tomorrow, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah. Edge I of really tomorrow. liked that movie. That was a fantastic movie. I thought it was super well done. It just like came into the limelight and like left immediately. Emily Blunt, fantastic. Great movie. Funny concept. There's like weird humor to it. I think they're making a sequel too. I'll probably that's watch coming that. out like next year or so. I'd watch that. Yeah. Um. Uh, I'd really. I mean, top five movies. It's hard. Oh, I agree. Um, if you give me like a little more time, I'll come up with a nice list for you. But next on podcast, the spot, can't do it. <laughs> next podcast. <laughs> next podcast. Are you a Tom Cruise guy though? Uh, he's okay. I don't. I don't really like the Scientology stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think he's kind of an egomaniac a little bit. But I do like some of his movies. Do you like some of his work? You know, Mission Impossible is dope. <laughs> Mission Impossible, great, great stuff. You know, can't disrespect the guy for that. Yeah. Hey, that about wraps up for me. Do you got anything else? No, just thanks for having me. Um, really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, that concludes the 14th episode of the GL Review. As always, you can follow me at NathanGL99 on Twitter. You can follow the website at UnpluggedWithNGL. That's U-N-P-L-U-G-G-D-W-I-T-H-N-G-L. And the whole joke with Unplugged, of course, it is called Unplugged. But do you yourself have anything to plug? I <laughs> uh, Just if you are thinking about playing Ultimate Northwestern, you know, just come on out. Give us an email. Outside on the field. We take million dollar donations too, right? Sure do. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, that wraps it up. Until next time, see ya.